Well, good morning. It is, it is always a joy to be with you and to, to be able to worship as well as to maybe share with you some principles from uh, God's Word that, uh, at least my prayer is, that, that you'll find encouraging in terms of your walk with, uh, with Christ. The title for this morning's message is The Content of Biblical Faith. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be jumping into the middle of a conversation that Jesus has been having with some of the religious leadership of, of Israel and his disciples. And so in order to do that, I just want to, I want to quickly go over two parts of what he has, he has uh, been sharing with uh, these, this audience, this group. He's basically going to be talking about four kinds of faith. Okay? And we're going to look at, at the first kind of, of faith there as, as you're turning there to Matthew. But what I want you to remember is this. Biblical faith, or, or faith in general always requires an object. You, you always take your faith and put it into someone or something. There are people who put their faith in money. There are people who put their faith in the political system here in the United States. So, you know, if, if, the important thing is, is this. The important thing is whatever you put your faith into, is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? Uh, I just finished up a class. That is, some of you know I'm taking finishing up my my uh, degree in uh, uh, seminary, and, and one of the classes I just finished up on was, was uh, apologetics. And I had the opportunity to, to travel and to be part of a, uh, a worship service at a mosque, at a Hindu temple, and at a synagogue. And to me it was really amazing how these people were putting their faith and trust in, well, the Quran for one thing, as, as a, a document, other uh, Hindu sacred writings, very sincere, very genuine in terms of, of their faith. They had faith, but it's not biblical faith. And, and one of the things that, as I mentioned, that Jesus is talking about in these uh, verses here in chapter 16, one of the major themes deals with faith, and he talks about four kinds. The first faith that he talks about has to do with, basically he, he talks about uh, those who have no biblical faith. And, and he uses this, I think, as an example from uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees there. You know, they, they want to test Jesus. They want to try to trip him up to, to see if there's some way that they can accuse him of breaking the law. And they want to see another sign. Now, remember, Jesus has been doing all kinds of miracles throughout this, uh, his ministry at this point. And he's not going to give them another opportunity because he knows their hearts are hardened. He knows that they are not trusting in God. They really don't believe in terms of who he is. Let me ask you this question. What is the reason or the purpose for miracles? Glorify God? Okay. Okay, that's good. Yep, yep, that's one of the reasons for miracles. Another reason for miracles is to validate the messenger's message. All along, Jesus has been going throughout the land. He's been performing miracles. Because realize, when Jesus comes on the scene, there have been at least maybe 12 other self-proclaimed messiahs, uh, people that are claiming that they are the coming you know, Lord. What's going to distinguish Jesus from the rest of those? Well, not only the things he says, but the things he does. I mean, they'd never seen anyone heal somebody who'd been blind, let alone uh, the casting out of demons and the, uh, the, the raising people from the dead. Uh, again, it was, it was why? So that it would validate his message. Now, the problem with the Pharisees is not that they didn't have faith. They had faith. The problem was they were putting their faith in their own traditions. They were putting their faith in in, uh, again, their own uh, ways of, of thinking, but it wasn't in the Word of God. Many years ago, uh, I was taking a class through uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, 
And uh, uh, Dr. Pentecost uh, was the, uh, the professor, and uh, we were taking a biblical prophecy class and uh, going through some of the Old Testament prophecies. And I, I remember I asked him in the class, I, I said, Dr. Pentecost, why is it that the Jews missed the time of their visitation? I just couldn't understand it with all of those Old Testament prophecies. And I'll, I'll never forget his response. He said, well, he, he believed that the reason they missed the time of their visitation was because they didn't give careful enough attention to what Scripture was saying. And I remember sitting there going, really? They just didn't study the Scriptures close enough? But I tell you what, that, that, has, that, that comment has stayed with me. That was, that was many years ago when I, had that, I took that class uh, from him uh, because I realized, well, if that happened to them, could it happen to us as Christians? Could it happen to me? And I thought, yeah, it could. You know, I, I need to pay close attention to what the Word of God has to say. Uh, As Christians, that's where we place our faith. We place our faith in the trustworthiness of God himself and what his word, the Bible, has to say. Remember, John 17, 17, Jesus said, the word is truth. This book that we we hold in our hands, it is truth. And so the truest thing about you or me or the truest things about our circumstances is what God's word says. So that's kind of helpful. Okay, so the second one in terms of, of kind of catching us up to where he's at in his discourse, is, is he, he talks about those who have little faith. And the example is given in the disciples. As, as they continue to move on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they come to the shores, and, and, and Jesus responds to them. He says, Be careful, be on your guard against the yeast, or the leaven, depending on your translation, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples thought, Oh, man, it's, you know, he's saying that because we forgot the food. Oh, good night. You know, and so they're, they're discussing this issue. You know, how could you have forgotten the food? You know, I don't know. Why didn't you remember? You know, and so that Jesus realizing that he's, you know, he wants to use this as a teachable moment, a teachable moment in, in cautioning them to be careful with regards to wrong kinds of teaching. Uh, leaven and bread back then uh, was, was seen as, it was used as a metaphor, something that is, that is evil. Okay? Uh, and he was equating that in terms of the teachings of the religious leaders that were there. Now, the point is simply this. And, of course, you know, Jesus goes on to say, you know, you could have at least remembered, uh, you know, what I had done here and the feeding of the 4,000 as well as the 5,000, but, but they didn't get it initially until, until Christ responds uh, that way to them. Now, the point here is not that they did not have faith. They had biblical faith, but it was little. It, it wasn't where it should have been. Um, and so, anyway, he, he just uh, continues on that. What we want to look at this morning is, is the faith, the biblical faith, that relates to saving faith that's biblical. Uh, and we want to look at the content of that. We want to look at the content of following faith. What, what does it look like in terms of to have faith to, to walk with Christ? So again, if, if you have your Bibles and you're there in, um, in chapter 16, and looking in verse uh, 13, Jesus begins to, again, dialogue with uh, the disciples with regards to uh, what I believe is going to be the issue of of the content of saving faith. Now, it says that when Jesus came, verse 13, to the region of Caesarea, uh, Philippi, he asked the disciples a question. He says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, realize this. They've gone into this region, okay, that is kind of known for its demonic activity, the Greeks worshipped the, the god Pan that was there, and uh, the Romans had, had a big temple that, that was um, given in honor of the Caesars, uh, in particular uh, Augustus Caesar. And, of course, back then, historically, uh, the, after a Caesar would die, uh, the Senate would vote to deify 
that person. And, of course, as it progresses uh, to the point of where Peter, if you remember last week when we, we looked at Second Peter, by the time it gets to that point where Peter writes his letter, it's already become a cult kind of worship of where they are. The Caesars are claiming themselves to be God while they're alive. But you can see this is the beginning of the progression of this. They have that temple there at the time that Jesus uh, takes his disciples to this area where they worship um, uh, the Caesars. There's other gods that are there. There's a lot of demonic activity that's going on in this region. And, and so he stops his men and he says, hey, who do the people say that I am? Well, they respond, you know, some of the people say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still some say you're Jeremiah or some other prophet. It's obvious there was some confusion in the people's minds, and probably even with some of the disciples, in terms of who he is. And then he says, you know, guys, you, you've been walking with me for, for many months. Uh, you've heard some of the messages and some of the things I've done. Who do you say that I am? And, of course, uh, that's when Simon Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the, of the living God, you know, the, the, the one that we've been waiting for. Basically, you're the one. Now, some believe that this is a radical confession that Peter is making. And I don't think it is in, in many ways. It isn't the fact that he's, he's doing this. Why? Because of the comments that others had made in times past. That's just the... Uh, uh, and I just want to quickly uh, throw up some of these verses here uh, to, to focus in on this point. Uh, you know, Nathaniel confessed to Christ as the Son of God, and John there, uh, not only Nathaniel, but the disciples, after he stilled one of the storms, acknowledged that he is the Son of God. Peter, after Jesus preached the sermon uh, uh, about the bread of life, acknowledges that. Even Andrew, when, when Jesus is calling his disciples together, Andrew goes back and gets his brother and brings them into the group. He acknowledges this. What makes uh, what Peter had, had shared there, his acknowledgement, uh, has to do with the aspect of, I think, that Christ was specifically asking for this confession. He, he also specifically acknowledges the confession and accepts it. See, as, as we look at the text here, Jesus goes on to talk about how not only uh, how Peter is blessed because of this revelation, but, but that he's going to, upon, reader, upon Peter and upon the rock, he says, he's going to build his church. And so I think what is going on here is the aspect of he's going to begin to teach the disciples a new truth about God's plan for his redemption of the world. He's going to inaugurate this thing called the church. Realize something, that in the Old Testament there isn't any kind of inclination, there isn't, there isn't any kind of, of, a, of a prophecy or understanding about this thing called the church. This is something new, totally different. It's a mystery until Jesus comes on the scene. Here he begins to, to give the disciples a little bit of an understanding about the fact that, that well, plans are going to change. Uh, he's going to be doing something different. Now, he, he does commend Peter for the fact that, that his understanding of this revelation, of who he is, is not something that Peter has come about because of his own uh, mental capabilities. It isn't because of his keen observation skills. No, this is a revelation that God has given to Peter. Now stop for a second and think about this. Put your, put your feet in the sandals of Peter. How do you think Peter felt as a result of, hey, God has done something special in my life? You know, they hadn't done it for the rest of the guys. I'm sure he was feeling pretty good about himself and about uh, just the things that, that were going on here. Uh, but, but the issue becomes one of, I think, it is because Christ 
has asked for this. That's what makes this so, so radical. Um, now, again, some people say that you know, the rock here that Jesus is talking about is he's referring to, to, to Peter's name and, and to you know, how he's going to build the church. I think there's some confusion there. It doesn't need to be, quite frankly. Again, if we're looking at the content of biblical saving faith, what does it take for a person to, to enter into this personal relationship with Christ, which is the basis of, of building the church, okay? Uh, I, I think that in many ways what the issue is here is, is that Peter is recognizing that Christ is the, Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And so in some ways, w- when we talk about building the church, it is indeed upon Peter. But wait a minute, not, not in maybe the way you're thinking. I'm not saying that Peter is the first pope, as Catholic tradition teaches. But, but what I am saying is that he's the first to recognize who Jesus is through God's opening up his mind, his, his heart. He is the first, he's the first one to affirm this truth. You see, all of us have got to come to the point, if we're going to be part of the church, of understanding who Christ is and, and, and agreeing, putting our faith in that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the Lord. And that his finished work on the cross, what he did on the cross, it is sufficient. We don't need to add anything to it. We can't add anything to it. And so by faith, we come and, and we place our faith in the object. Okay, Christ is who he is and what he has done. And because of his shed blood, his, his, what he has done, his blood atones for our sins. So, so I think you know, this is what, what Peter was, was uh, stating, beginning to say. This is what Jesus is affirming. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11, he said, look, no man can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is also the head of the church. And so as he's, he's inaugurating this new idea, this new concept, this new plan, uh, again, he's, he's basically saying that, look, uh, upon this bedrock of this confession that Peter has made, I am going to launch, or God is going to launch a new age, a new chapter in revealing what his kingdom is all about. Now, again, we take that for granted because we've grown up with these concepts. Uh, most of our lives we've grown up in the church. But again, think how radical that must have been to the disciples to hear this. Um, but also how encouraging. Uh, now, again, Jesus goes on to say that, that you know, the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. And, and, and what is interesting about that phrase there is that in, in the, the secular realm, at this time of history, people use this as a, as a bit of a metaphor to talk about the, the aspect of how the power and the finality of death is really great. And so Jesus is saying, look, the finality and the power of, of, of death is not great because of what I'm going to do. Okay, because of my death and, and burial and then resurrection. And so he's saying, look, I'm inaugurating something new here. It, it is, its foundation is, is Peter. And those who, who, like him, will confess that, that Messiah is, Christ is the Messiah, and that he's Lord. And that absolutely nothing will ever kill the people of God or the church. This is a movement that, that I'm building. Now again, as, as Christians who've grown up in the church, we've probably heard these points before, and so it, it maybe isn't quite as radical to us uh, in terms of, of what it was probably to the disciples at that time. Now again, if you look in your text... And you go to verse four, uh, 19, he says, look, I'm going to hand 
to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Again, the keys. What, what do you do with keys? I mean, what, what is the purpose of having keys? Unlock, open up, right? Unlock a door, open up a gate, open up a box. It, it's so why? It's so that we can enter into whatever, that, that space, uh, that object. So, so when Jesus says, look, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, uh, I think the aspect here has to do with, with the issue of the gospel message. Uh, the keys of the kingdom are handed over to the disciples, and by extension, you and I. Those who follow Christ, the, 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 the gospel message is what makes the difference. Whether we believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and, and whether we are willing to trust in that. So we have been given the incredible opportunity to proclaim that message. In the proclamation of the gospel message, through different means, it could be through written, uh, it could be through lifestyle, it could be through verbal, uh, people who hear and respond to that message are set free to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who ultimately reject that message are bound. And it will not find, they will not find entry into the kingdom of God. So I, think that, I think this is what Jesus is talking about in terms of, of, uh, of this kind of discourse he's having with the disciples here is, is the, the content of saving biblical faith. The content, we've got to believe in who Christ is. And, and then we've got to place our faith okay, in what he did. His finished work on the cross, that, that is sufficient to pay for the wrong things that I've done. And then he goes on and he says, don't tell anybody. And about this plan, and I think it's, it, the reason he says that is because God has a timetable. He is sovereign. He is in control. There is a time coming shortly when that will be revealed. Remember Peter? If you just kind of fast forward there a, a few uh, chapters, he is standing in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Christ, after he's ascended into heaven, and he is proclaiming this message. And Acts 2, I think, begins the, uh, the uh, church, the church age. So again, uh, he's just cautioning them, them to allow the revelation of who he is, to happen as God intends it. Now, that's the first part in terms of of, a point of this morning in terms of of different biblical faiths that we have. He then moves on to talk about what is the content of following faith. You know, in verse 21, he, he then continues, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, but on the third day he will rise again. And I think what happens is that Peter, Peter doesn't hear that last part of that phrase. And he immediately jumps into action and he, and he begins to respond. He says, no. In fact, he pulls him aside and he says, Lord, begins to rebuke him. He says, this will never happen to you. No, no, uh-uh, it can't happen. Uh, and again, think about it from the standpoint of where the disciples are coming from. You know, they've had all these Old Testament prophecies about when Messiah comes, he's going to reestablish the kingdom, okay, and and he's going to bring Israel back to its its point of of prominence and significance, kind of like the days of David and Solomon. You know, they they so much wanted to see the Roman Empire removed from their backs, that oppression, uh, the, the humiliation of having Rome, you know, control them. They were so looking forward to that. They just weren't listening close enough to what Jesus is saying. You know, for them, uh, the, the humiliation and the oppression of Rome was something that they, they deeply desired uh, to see taken, uh, taken away. Um, and, of course, Jesus, you know, as, as uh, Peter is pulling him aside, 
and saying, hey, this, this is not going to happen to you, he, he turns to him. Now, now think how this must have impacted Peter. Because Jesus probably looks him right in the eyes and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. How would you have felt if that was you? I mean, you've just been commended by Christ that, hey, this revelation, you know, God has revealed to you that, yeah, I am the Messiah. Good job, Pete. Okay, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to do some interesting things, some encouraging things for you. And then almost seconds later, he turns around and he says this to Peter. How difficult it must have been. You see, why? Well, I, and, I'm, and I don't know about you, but when I read this, I, I can actually feel Peter's insides probably shriveling up. Well, again, the reason is because Peter has his mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, he's trying to reason this thing out uh, in terms of what Jesus has said in his own power, in his own reasoning abilities. Now, if you've walked with Christ any length or period of time, there's, there probably have, have come to be circumstances in your life where you have struggled with what God is saying to you through his word, Right? Uh, I don't like what's happening in my life. Uh, I, I may not agree with it. <laughs> and, and I'm wrestling with, ultimately, God on the situation. Uh, Ron Dunn, in his book, uh, When Heaven is Silent, uh, makes a, an acute observation that, that our struggles in life, I mean, we may think it's our struggle with the government or a struggle with our boss or struggle with our kids, but it's ultimately a struggle with God. And that's what Peter's struggling with here. And that's oftentimes what happens with us. I think that saving faith is easy. You know, I, I think that's easy. I think it's a lot more difficult to follow Christ. Because I think the faith that, that, that God is going to ask to, to be developed into our life is a little more difficult. We've got to trust God at times in areas where we don't understand. God, this makes no sense. I'm sure it made no sense to the disciples at this point that, wait a minute, Messiah is going to have to be killed? Christ, you've been railing on the, the religious leadership for their error, and now you're going to allow yourself to be... No, come on, that doesn't make sense. can't be. You ever struggle with similar things in your own life as you walk with Christ and you don't understand why he's doing what he's doing? Or, or why hasn't he answered these prayers? Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's normal. See, that's how our faith grows. Uh, it's through difficulties. It's through uh, having to, to trust God in areas that, that boy, we don't understand. The, the thing that helps is to be able to go back and say, well, I may not understand everything God's doing now, but I know this to be true of God because of God's Word. I know this to be true of His character. And then it's sometimes helpful to look back and see, well, this is how God has been faithful in dealing with me in times past. Okay, why won't He be faithful now? Well, he will if I'm willing to put my faith and trust in his trustworthiness in what his word says. But that's a challenge, sometimes easier said than done. You see, I think Jesus wants Peter to recognize that his understanding of who he is as Messiah was a revelation of God. He wants also Peter to understand that his wrong thinking about Messiah finds its source in, in I think, a, uh, a different place, a, a more deadly place. See, his thinking is really coming from Satan himself. See, oftentimes, those little thoughts that maybe sound good that come into our head, uh, that's why Paul says we need to filter everything uh, through, um, uh, through the Word of God. 
We are to take every thought captive, he says, to the obedience of Christ. Because sometimes these thoughts may sound good, they may sound religious, uh, they may sound spiritual or Christian, but they're really not. Sometimes, obviously, they aren't. They're even, it's even more obvious, but, but because we're maybe not in a right place, we can't understand that. But what Jesus is saying is that, Peter, your thoughts are not the thoughts of God, they're the thoughts of men. See, and, and yet Jesus loves Peter enough that it matters to him. He's saying, look, it matters to me what you believe about me. I'm not just someone here to, to fulfill your agenda, your plans, or, or, or your goals. Um, what we need to be about is doing God's mission. We need to be willing to be obedient to follow Christ. And then he's going to share some things that, well, it challenges us. You know, if you think about it. He, he goes on in verse 25 and he simply says, you know, look, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever uh, loses his life for, for me will find it. And then he talks about, you know, what good is it if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Uh, earlier before this, he made the comment um, in verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, there's some things you've got to do. So if we're going to follow Christ and if we're going to have that, that kind of uh, biblical faith for following we need to deny ourselves, we need to take up our cross, and we need to, to move in the direction that Christ wants us to move. Um, now, again, that's kind of hard. The, the denial of yourself means to deny your own interests, uh, your own agenda, and realize that, you know what, God has a better agenda. Uh, to be willing to, to pick up the cross. You know, it is interesting, the, the concept of the cross back then was not just one of, of capital punishment, but, but it carried with it the idea of powerlessness and humiliation. How difficult it must have been for the disciples to say, wait a minute, I've got to associate myself with that kind of stigma? To be weak? Well, yeah. Because remember, that's what Paul says. He says, when I am weak, and I am strong. In other words, when you and I get to the place in our walk with Christ, we realize I don't have the mental capability of understanding this. I don't have the, maybe the physical strength. I, I just don't have... The wherewithal, but I know someone who does. You see, we stop trusting in our abilities because we are very gifted people, especially as Americans. We are very gifted. Uh, we're very blessed. And it's easy for us to, to, to begin to trust in those areas, our money or our education or the, the things we have. And God says, you need to trust in me. You and I need to learn how to do that. I need to learn to become weak where I say, God, I don't know. I mean, I, I may have a seminary degree, but I tell you what, I've got more questions <laughs> since going to seminary than I had before. And that's okay, because it causes me to say, well, Lord, I don't know, but you do, and I'm going to trust you. Um, and, and the aspect of humility, yeah, you know, it's good for us to be humbled. I don't like to go through it. I don't like to be run over or beat up, so to speak, um, but it's good. You know, sometimes God needs to humiliate us. A.W. Tozer said that it is doubtful that God can use a man or woman greatly until he hurts him or her, her deeply. You know, sometimes that's why we go through the hard times we do. You see, following Christ, yeah, it, it takes greater faith um, and, and a willingness to, to yield. But that comes as a result of our understanding, well, who is God? Who is he? What is he like? Well, how do we find out? who God is, through getting back to his word, through studying it, and, and then experiencing what he has promised. 
You see, Jesus goes on to tell Peter, he says, look, Peter, he wants us to even evaluate our own lives in this way. He's saying, look, what good is it if you get everything you want? Uh, if, you know, you, we overthrow the Roman government. What good is it if I, if I establish the kingdom right now? I bring Israel back to its, to its uh, prominence of glory and influence like it was with David and, and Solomon. Uh, you know, new political kingdom. And, and Peter, you're, you're on my right hand. You're, you're my right hand man. You know, what does it matter if you get all this, but you don't find true life in me? Remember, Christ earlier had said, um, I, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Or in other words, that life would be meaningful. It would be fulfilling. It would be satisfying. You know, one of the interesting things about man's agenda is that it, it's really an empty agenda. How many times we've heard testimonies of people who've reached the pinnacle of success only to commit suicide or, or to be just so depressed and so lonely or so unfulfilled? They're not happy. See, that's a lie that Satan oftentimes gives us, that there is an emptiness in man's agenda. And so Jesus is radically calling us out. He's calling us to a life of, of satisfaction, of fulfillment, that comes as a result of following God's mission, God's path. And so a lot of times what we need to do is just, okay, got to refocus, got to rethink. And, and then be encouraged with what, lastly, what Jesus said. You know, he said this. He said, for, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he or she has done. We need to meditate on that. You know, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And when he returns, we who have a personal relationship with him will be vindicated. We will be rewarded for the loyalty that we have shown, the, the faithfulness, the trust in terms of living out the plan that God has for our lives. See, that's part of the content of, of this biblical following faith. I think that, that this, this message, this discourse that we have had with Jesus and, and his men, is, it's a beautiful one as we've looked at it. It's, it's, it's an ongoing story that you and I are caught up in, if you think about it. You see, through us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. The kingdom of God is, is being promoted to, to every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. It, it is an incredible privilege that we have to follow Him. And as we follow Him in different means, in different ways, that we're able to be part of, of communicating the eternal truth. What is that truth? Well, of, of God's love for us and of, of how people can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. See, anything else that the world offers, I think, to us pales in comparison in terms of, of what, uh, what Christ is offering. And, you know, as we, as we think about the communion table, you know, it seems to fit very well because you don't have to be a member of the Lance Evangelical Church to partake of, of this tradition, uh, the, the communion table. You just need to know that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and Lord. Now, if you don't know that, then, then I would encourage you that as we administer these elements, just, just let them pass you by. This is something that is just specifically given for those who know Christ to partake in. And, and I would hate for you to incur further wrath upon you by, by taking communion in, in an unworthy manner. So if you don't know Christ or you're not sure, just let the elements pass. No one's going to think anything 
uh, less of you. Uh, it is also a time for us as, as believers to kind of take inventory. Am I in a good place spiritually? Have I really been following Christ the way that he wants me to follow him? Have I been denying my agenda, my will? Have I been taking up my cross? Have, have I been walking closely with him? If not, then, then I encourage you. You know what? It, you could take and make even this time that we're administering the elements is a time for you to make that decision to say, you know what, I, I do want to walk with you more closely, Lord. I realize that I'm not in the best place that I could be spiritually. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness. That's so what Paul was trying to encourage the believers at Corinth with. He said, look, some of you guys are coming to the, to the, uh, to the communion table. It was, it was actually a love feast. It was a, it was a banquet kind of thing. Some were getting drunk. Some were eating food uh, before others could get there. They, they were taking the, the, these elements in an unworthy manner. And he said, because of that, some of you are weak, and I think he meant physically. Uh, some of you are sick, and some of you have died. And so it's, it's, a, it's a warning to us to make sure that, hey, I need to be in the right place, even as a Christian. If I'm not, just let the elements pass by. Or apply that principle of, of 1 John 1, 9. He promises he'll cleanse us. And you know, and just ask him, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, not just Savior.